The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. box of clothes in my car um, that are going to Goodwill. Any Goodwillers out there? Any thrifties out there? Not Swifties, thrifties. Where are my thrifties at? You like to go thrift store shopping. You like to find that uh, awesome item for cheap at a thrift store. Or maybe you just love to give. You have such a Goodwill that you give to the Goodwill. You donate your clothes and don't just throw them away. I've got a box of clothes in my car uh, that's going to Goodwill. Um, well, three months ago, I was supposed to go to Goodwill. And it's just been in my car. Um, and then most mornings at preschool drop-off when I open up the Black Stallion, AKA the Prius, and the back is this box of clothes and it's in the way of putting my daughter's backpacks and nap mats in the car for preschool. And there's an overwhelming sense of frustration and let down that yet again, this box has not been taken to Goodwill. And so what do I do? Um, I'm in my driveway. So I unload the box and I put it onto my uh, bench, my weight rack in my garage, and it sits there. But then when I want to go and work out, there's the box of clothes on my bench near my weight rack. And I can't work out until I move the box. And inevitably other things get stacked on this box of clothes. And It's in my home and then it's in my car and then it's in my car and then it's in my home. And for three months, it's not been where it needs to be. And where's that? Everybody said, goodwill, goodwill. And I keep asking this question, why do I still have this box? Like, why don't I just take the five minutes, 10 minutes that it takes to drive to the local goodwill and donate these clothes? Somebody could use these clothes. Not all of them. I will confess my sin that some of them have oil stains and food stains and there's tears and Goodwill can take care of that. They can determine if the clothes are worth keeping. But I want to get rid of these clothes. Why do I still have them? Why are they where I live and with me where I go? What do I do with these clothes? I wonder if you've asked that question before in the spiritual life. Why do I still have this in me, around me? It's where I live, it's where I go. There's just this meanness that I still have. And it feels very old and very dead and very distorted. And I wanna live new, but I just have this thing that's still there. G.K. Chesterton, when he was asked, what's wrong with the world? He answered, I am. What's wrong with the world? We are, we have a vision for who we want to be, a life we long to live. And yet there's this gap between who we are and who we actually live as, how we actually live. The gap between our identity and the integrity with which we live into our identity or live out of our identity. This gap between who we are and who we wanna be. We have a vision, we have a longing, and yet there's this gap. Why do I still have this in me? What do I do with it? Today is a bit of a heavier talk of sorts because in our passage today, there are such relevant issues to our everyday life. Um, Paul's going to list a number of particular sins. And so welcome to Sin Sunday. This is the day where we address it. And uh, it might feel heavy when we go through it, but 
I want to remind you that it's in the context of the gospel and the gospel is good news for sinners, not good advice for winners. It's good news for you and me, for people who struggle with the, why do I still have this box of clothes that needs to get out of my car, out of my home, out of my heart? And when we talk about sin in the church, there's so many things that can happen. Self-righteousness can rise up. We can kind of be like, yeah, I, I, you know, I've learned about that. I've healed from that. I've moved beyond that. Um, or maybe it can just tap into some of the ways that we've been um, justifying sin, justifying living kind of in our own way, justifying saying that, you know, I can, I can live how I want. I'm the um, self-defining self. I sit on an autonomous throne and I'm God of my life. And uh, I've got license to sin or a self-righteousness to realize I'm doing pretty good. I'm better than you are at least, better than they are at least, whatever it is. So many things can happen. Or maybe anger or shame. You're angry that the gap between your identity and integrity is not closed. Or maybe shame. You just feel so burdened by the, by the sin of your life, by the brokenness within you, that there's so much shame. All of that Jesus wants to set you free from, set us free from. Self-righteousness, license to sin, this hedonism. He wants to set us free from the anger between the gap of who we are and how we live, from the shame that we feel in that gap. All of that, the gospel comes in and obliterates because this is what Jesus said in John chapter 10. I came that you would have life to the full, that you would live fully alive in me. That's the promise of Jesus. That's the promise of the gospel, to live fully alive. So when we talk about sin, we need to talk about it in a way that it's situated in the story of God, in the truth of the gospel, in the love of Jesus, in the promise of Jesus to give us full life. Actually, when we talk about sin, there should be a relief that occurs because we can, we can bring it to God, we can unburden it before God, and he does what he does. He cleanses, he forgives, he loves he heals, he restores, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's what Nancy Piercy says in her book, Love Thy Body. I'm gonna read it, it won't be on the screen. The main reason to address moral issues is that they have become a barrier to even hearing the message of salvation. People are inundated with rhetoric telling them that the Bible is hateful and hurtful, narrow and negative. While it's crucial to be clear about the biblical teaching of sin, the context must be an overall positive message that Christianity alone gives the basis for a high view of the value and meaning of the body as a good gift from God. In our communication with people struggling with moral issues, we need to reach out with a life-giving and a life-affirming message. We should work to draw people in by the beauty of the biblical vision of life. And that's what Paul does today in Colossians 3 five to 10. So let's get there together. Colossians 3, five to 10. We'll read verses five and then eight and nine together. It says this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Can y'all say whatever? Whatever. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now let's skip down to verse eight. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to 
each other. Do not lie to each other. Already, if you're paying attention, you can see that Paul gives us two categories of sin. Um, You could put these into two big buckets, sexual sin and social sin. He starts the sexual sin list with sexual immorality. The Greek word there is porneia, and that's where we get our word pornography. But then the list continues to build in its intensity and then switches at the end to greed. He attaches greed or covetousness, which usually for us feels like an economic term. But here, Paul is is putting all of it in this bucket of, of desire, sexual immorality, Impurity, which just means uncleanness, lust, or, or this inordinate passion for something. Um, evil desires, that our, our desires um, are, are disordered. They're not aligned with God's will in such a way that we live into the flourishing life that Jesus has called us. There's a distortion at the level of desire. And then he says greed, which is idolatry. And really you can move backwards from that, that all of it is idolatry, which is simply replacing self um, instead of God. It's it's imagining a life and a life that is good apart from God and then pursuing that. Um, Sexual immorality, this umbrella term porneia, it it just includes everything about distorted sexual ethics. And man, we live in a time that's, that's broken, that's confused. There's sexual confusion and chaos everywhere. The access to pornography, the access to lust, the access to evil desires, the access to the stoking of greed in our life. Greed just means I want more and more and more of the thing. That what begins as an evil desire and moves to the intensification of lust that goes into this unclean space of sexual acting out or sexual immorality It's all just idolatry. And then with greed, we just want more and more. Paul says, that is sexual sin. And I love the term sexual immorality because it it also implies that there is a sexual morality, that God actually has a sexual ethic for our life and it's for our good as humans, that he cares about our bodies and he cares about our sexuality. It says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality. It doesn't say put to death your sexuality. God made us human beings. He delights in who we are. He is the one who created sexuality. We are the ones in the distortion of sin and the confusion of our culture and the lie of the enemy who get caught up in a lie around what that means. And that belongs, Paul says, to our earthly nature. But God has an ethic for sexuality that is for our flourishing. That's for our good That's for you and I being fully alive. And if Jesus said that, and then Jesus died on the cross, and then Jesus rose from the grave, I believe what he said because he rose from the grave. He was God in the flesh. He said he came to give us life. He rose from death, which verifies and validates that claim. God has life for you, and it's not in that bucket of desire. The other bucket is social sins. Paul lists anger and rage and slander. And and then this term filthy language. And he says, don't lie to each other. Don't lie to each other. And so we remember in this passage, Paul's not writing just to individuals. This is a young church. Paul's in prison and he's writing to this young church. And these yous in the passage, you, 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 put to death whatever belongs. Don't lie to each other. It's a communal, it's a y'all, y'all. Y'all are a new creation. 
Y'all are in Christ. And so sexual sins, put it to death. Social sins, anger, rage, slander, malice, filthy language, and lying, put that to death too. Why? Because these two things, they don't belong in the kingdom. They don't belong in your new, full life in God. We all long to be somebody. We all long for more. We have a vision for more in our life. And so does Jesus. He has a redemptive potential for you and I that he wants us to live into. And yet, through the distortion of sexual immorality and the control of anger and rage, slander, malice, and filthy language, we get lost along the way. Our visions fail, our idols fall. Put to death whatever belongs, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Just a few verses earlier, like we studied last week, Paul says to set your heart and your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Where, where God is, God's space, not this space. Where God's kingdom rules and reigns, not where there is this overlap of the rule and reign of sin and death and the rule and reign of God's kingdom. God's broken the power of sin. He's forgiven us from the penalty of sin. And yet we're caught up in the presence of sin. Paul says, that's your earthly life. But you have a new life in Christ where you are hidden with God, where you are secure in his love. So live from that place. Sexual and social sins or consumption and control. I mean, how many of you, even this week, alongside me, felt the control of anger ruin a moment where you wanted to control somebody else, you wanted to get a certain outcome, and, and so you just got angry. And then maybe there's rage even. Maybe there was a, a desire, a heart posture of malice towards somebody in your life. Just this week, I was driving to church and I was getting onto 161 North off of 183, and a car behind me switched, you know, crossed the solid line to get over into the lane quicker and try and speed up. And I'm just listening to a podcast. I have my blinker on, you know, people who drive Priuses typically drive slow. And so I'm trying to, I don't drive slow. I'm trying to get over, you know, in the lane. And then as I'm getting over where the dotted line is, this guy is speeding up behind me. And so I have to go to the right really quickly. And what came out of my mouth in that moment revealed what was in my heart. And y'all, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't good. Uh, but then the look that that person gave me and the look that I gave them, it was malice. It was hate. All in a moment. And he drove on and I drove on and confessed that sin. And here we are. God is good. But, <laughs> but y'all, that moment revealed what was in me. And Jesus said, that's not... That's not the life I have for you. The sexual sins of consumption, just getting more and more of what our appetites want. The sexual or the social sin of control, just trying to control situations for our desired outcome, both of which just put us on the throne. The self-defining self, the self-ruling self, the one that's not surrendered to King Jesus and to his kingdom. And so Paul says, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, here's what you do with it. You put it to death. Before we go there, I love this quote from Ray Ortland in his little book that came out last year called The Death of Porn. He says this, the worst things about you are where he loves you the most tenderly. And so even talking about sexual sins and social sins, 
greed and consumption of our physical appetites outside of the will of God, the flourishing that God has for us, control and the anger, all of that can bring up so much. There's so many dynamics happening in the room right now for people. And I just wanna encourage you that the worst things about you are where God loves you most tenderly. That the spirit of God among us as his people, encouraging us to put to death our sin, the spirit of God right now, if there is conviction, that's for your good. If there is a, maybe, I don't know, there's some hiddenness in your life that's for your good. He's revealing it. He loves you. He values you. He wants you. He wants you to live fully alive. Put to death, Paul says. There's one thing Paul says to do with sin. He says to put it to death. There's two kinds of people, sin managers, sin minimizers. And Paul says, don't be those people, be sin mortifiers. Mortify the flesh, kill the flesh, put it to death. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, kill it. Why? Because you're already dead. The old you died in the waters of baptism. You were brought to new life in Christ. And your life, it's hidden with God, secure in God. And you have a future glory where he's gonna renew you and renew all things. Everything will align with his will for flourishing and he will receive all glory. And so, get in the game. Start now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in me as it is in heaven. How does that happen? Well, we put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. Sin managers, this is for the religious heart, the, the self-righteous. We're just like, man, if I can just manage my sin, it'll be okay. If it's, if it's like every once in a while that I lash out in anger, if it's every once in a while that I lust in my heart, at least I've got it somewhat under control. Or the sin minimizers. You know what? There's grace and the gospel heals and the gospel soothes and the gospel reminds me that God loves me. And this is true. But sometimes we too quickly self-soothe with the gospel and we skip over reflecting upon the underlying root issue of our heart and we don't put it to death at the root. Springtime's coming. Yeah, I mean, it's February and it's 89 today. That's odd. But in my house, springtime weeds are starting to pop up. And if I don't put them to death, they'll be there all summer. If I don't take the clothes to Goodwill, it will stay in my car or on my workout binge, period. You gotta put it to death. Paul says to be a sin mortifier. This word mortification is a big term theologically. It just means kill, kill sin. John Owen in his book, Um, on mortification uh, said this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Satan has an agenda for your life. He wants to kill your spiritual life. He wants to steal from you and destroy through the distortion of sexual sins and anger and social sins. God has an agenda agenda for your life that you would be fully alive. And so how do we do that? We put sin to death. And then Paul gives two reasons why. Why? The first reason is found in Colossians 3, verse six. He says this, because of these, because of these sins, the wrath of God is coming. Verse seven, he says that you used to walk in these ways that belong to your earthly life. That was the old you, but the gospel has fundamentally transformed who you are. But in verse six, he says, it's these things upon which the wrath of God is coming. 
So, wow, what topics today? We've got sexuality, we've got the wrath of God, we've got our identity in Christ. There's so many relevant issues, anger, filthy language, which I forgot to mention. That's an unfortunate translation in my opinion, filthy language. It's a stronger term. It means abusive language. Paul says in your social sins, don't use your words to abuse, but to encourage and to build up. Put it to death. Why? Because the wrath of God is coming. I think sometimes we get really... Um, afraid to approach this, this um, concept of the wrath of God um, because is God wrathful? I mean, isn't he loving? First John 4 says that God is love. How could he have wrath? Wrath is, is, is attached to God's holiness. That God is holy, transcendent, utterly different than his creation. And sin has corrupted his good creation and therefore, unholiness has entered the scenario. So we have a holy God and an unholy creation, unholy sin within unholy sinners. And so the wrath of God is, is directed against sin. He wants to get it out of his good world. Or another way to say it, he wants to get the hell out of his world. Why? Because it got in there and it's not supposed to be there. And it got into our hearts and our lives and it's infecting and it's polluting and it's corrupting and it's pervasive and it's persistent and it's to where God's anger rises. Why? Not because he's mad at you and me. He's mad at sin and what it's doing to you and me. Now we participate in a collusion against God by participating in old creation space and old creation dynamics and in the kingdom of darkness. But Colossians 1 says that God has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness and puts you in the kingdom of light. And so you're in a new kingdom with a new self, with a new heart, with new desires, hidden in Christ with a new future. Paul says, put sin to death because this is your life now. And the wrath of God is coming against sins, coming against these sins sexual immorality and anger, consumption and control. The wrath of God. The wrath of God is coming against sin and that's actually a fearful thing. Jesus says in John three thirty six that for those who reject the son do not have the life of God in them. Those who reject the son, the wrath of God still remains upon them. But for those who trust in Christ as the atoning sacrifice for sin on the cross. For those who are in Christ and in his kingdom, the wrath of God is no longer upon you. It doesn't remain on you. Why? Because your sin has been forgiven and cleansed because he does not hold your sin against you like Psalm 103 says. But there's two kinds of wrath. There's God's passive wrath and God's active wrath. Romans 1 talks about God's passive wrath. Three times in Romans 1, it says that God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. And it's describing this downward spiral and descent into the darkness and depravity of sin. And it says that God gave them over to that. That in his passive wrath, he allowed us to live how we want. Sometimes as a father, I want my kids to learn through experience. And so I step back and I allow them to test out their limits. Sometimes they get hurt, but I'm right there to hold them. God in his passive wrath says, you can live that way. Let's see how that goes. In the way that I've designed the world, 
that life will kill you. You will wake up one day so utterly burdened and shame lost in guilt, so confused about who you are and what matters in life, so lacking value and dignity because the lie of the enemy has distorted your soul. God's active wrath in Romans 2, 5, it says that we in our sin store up God's wrath for the day of wrath. What's the day of wrath? It's the day when he comes to judge sin, but also renew all things. And there's the beauty. It's that God's wrath is against sin, but it's for life. He, he wants to get sin out so that his flourishing can happen. And when God's day of wrath comes, he will bring renewal like we've never even imagined. And that's a good thing. Christians desire that day. And we are honest about the reality of God's wrath against sin. And so we examine our life and we say, am I putting to death whatever belongs to my earthly nature? The second reason Paul gives is this in verse nine and 10. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. The first reason why we should kill sin is because the wrath of God is coming against these things. The second reason why we should kill sin is because you are new. You are new and it says you are being renewed. Ephesians 4, it says that the old self is being corrupted. Colossians 3 says that the new self is being renewed, that you are positionally in Christ, brand new. You are clean, you are pure, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are strong, you are in Christ and you are safe, you are new. You live in a new kingdom with a new heart, with new desires, under a new lordship, with a new future. That is what Paul is saying. So set your hearts on that reality. You're new. Since you've put on the new self, which is being renewed, partner with God in that renewal. Stay close to him. Fix your focus on him. Commune with your savior. Abide in Christ and kill sin. Kill sin. The old self died in the waters of baptism. The new self is alive. And the great lie the enemy wants to bring when we struggle with sexual sins or social sins, which we do every day, the great lie is that, ah, see, just the old you. You haven't really changed. The gospel's not really effective or efficient in your life. See, you're just carrying around a big box of clothes. You're never gonna get rid of that. See? Paul says, no, no, no. Since you have been raised, put to death, sin. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. So how do we do this? This is the big question for me. It's like, okay, the theology is beautiful. The reality, I love, I have my sights set on Jesus. I wanna live fully alive in him. But then on Monday morning, how do I actually put sin to death? What does that mean? How do I not get caught up in being a sin manager or a sin minimizer? How do I actually be a sin mortifier? And scripture, praise God, inspired by this spirit, gives us the answer over and over and over again. Here's three ways to put sin to death. And it first begins with a paradox. I can't. I can't. Can y'all say that with me? I, I can't. 
How do we put sin to death? You gotta first realize you can't. You can't. There's nothing about you that can kill the presence of sin. You cannot do it. And Paul says to do it anyways. And so what do we do with that? You can't. It's a little phrase I like. I can't, God can. So with God, I will. I can't, God can. So with God, my life with him, I will. See, as the spirit renews our new self in Christ, he also in his grace kills our old self. That our life, we are justified, made righteous in a moment, and then we are sanctified ongoingly. And that as we deepen in our with God life, as we deepen in our trust, that we actually do, can, and will put sin to death. Does it mean you won't ever struggle? No. Does it mean you won't ever be tempted? No, because we live in a broken, confused, and chaotic, sin-filled world. But it's not the only place we live. We also live in the kingdom of light. And we've been given the gift of the spirit. And we've been given the power of God. I can't, God can, so with God I will. The first thing is this. How do we put sin to death? Paul says it in Colossians 3, verses one to four, what we covered last week. We trust the gospel. You actually trust it. You believe it. You value it. You treasure it. You seek it. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and I'll take care of everything else. You trust the gospel that you have died. You have been raised. Your life is in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ and that you will be restored and renewed on the day of glory and the day of wrath when God makes everything new. You trust the gospel. When you are sinning, you go back to the gospel. When you're being tempted, you go to the gospel. When you have failed, you rest in the gospel. You trust the gospel, the good news. You trust Jesus, that his story is your story. That because because he died, you died also. Because he lives, you also live in him. And therefore, Paul says in Romans 6, verse 11, consider yourself dead to sin. Brothers and sisters, those of you who are in Christ, you are dead to sin, period, end of story. It no longer has a claim on you, a hold on you, an authority over you. The penalty of sin has been forgiven. The power of sin has been broken. The presence of sin is being killed. You're dead to sin. You are alive to God and he has life to the full for you. Romans 8, 13 tells us explicitly how to put sin to death by the spirit, by the spirit. So we we put sin to to death by trusting the gospel. We put sin to death by the spirit. What does that mean? Well, there's so many things in the New Testament to explore. And so I'd encourage you, be in the word. Read the scriptures because God will give you insight. Walk with the spirit. Kill sin by the spirit. I can't, but God can. So with God, I will. By the spirit. In the moment of temptation, by the spirit. In the moment of brokenness, by the spirit. He will remind you of all truth of the gospel and he will help you move forward in wholeness and righteousness the gap between identity and integrity will close. How? By the Spirit. Paul mentions in Ephesians 6, wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The only offensive weapon, the only killing weapon in all of scripture for the Christian is the sword of the Spirit. So how do you put to death sin? By the Spirit. The word of God, wielding it against sin, trusting in the truth. And then finally, how do you put sin to death? 
by confessing it. You confess it to death. And this is where we get stuck as Christians sometimes, especially Protestant evangelicals. We get stuck because we don't confess, we hide. But our life is already hidden. It's a hidden in Christ. So I don't have to hide anymore. I can confess. First John 1, 8 and 9 says this, confess your sins. And God is faithful and he's just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. What do we confess? We confess our sin. Who do we confess it to? To the Father. We come to God, our maker, God, our father, through Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. And we disagree. That was not your will. That sexual sin, that social sin, that's outside of your kingdom. And I, I agree, God. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your cleansing. But we don't only confess to the Father. In that verse, it says that we're forgiven and cleansed. But in James 5, it says that when we confess to one another, we're healed. I can't, God can, so with God, I will. But really what I mean by that is with God and all that he calls us into. And he calls us into community. James 5 says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. So we confess to God and receive forgiveness and cleansing. We confess to one another and we receive healing. Why? Because we weren't made to walk alone. I had two brothers recently confess sin in a, in a communal space, confess sin to me. And it was beautiful. Why? Because they were trusting the spirit, trusting the gospel. They were walking by the spirit and they were confessing to be healed. And then it says, and pray for one another because the prayer of the righteous person has power as it's working. And so we pray. Friends, if we just simply trusted the gospel and confessed our sin to God and one another, we could walk in a freedom like we've never known. We could live a surrendered life and live life to the full. How do we kill sin? I can't. God can, so with God, I will. Be about it. Take the box of goodwill. Get rid of it. Resurrection life leads to a renewed life. And as God brings you to life, he puts sin to death. Let's pray. Father, there's nothing greater than the truth of the gospel. There's no one greater than you. You are holy and beautiful and majestic and righteous and faithful and good. And because of what you've done in Christ, we're safe and secure. We're loved and we say thank you. We're forgiven and we say thank you. We're set free and we say thank you. But God, I pray right now for those in the room who have forgotten their freedom in Christ, who have forgotten their call to put sin to death, that you would wake them up by your spirit. I pray for the weary heart in the room that is so burdened by sin or the sins of others that you would bring the comfort of this truth from Colossians 3, that they are being renewed and they are new. I pray for the burdened heart by sin, the heavy heart, that they'd be reminded that their old self is dead and they are dead to sin. And so God, we take a moment to reflect. Have we been sin managers, minimizers, or mortifiers? Have we taken your holiness too lightly? Have we not trusted the gospel deeply? 
Thank you now, Lord, for your presence among us that is greater than anything in the world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new.